Section 2 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 10, March 1899. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. The Original Territory of the United States by the Honorable David J. Hill, LLD, Assistant Secretary of State. The Territorial Claims and Secessions of the States. It is an interesting fact that the year 1763, the date of the Treaty of Paris, marks also the beginning of that movement toward independence which culminated in the Declaration of 1776. The King and the Parliament, unmindful of the great services of the colonies in the destruction of the power of France, chose to regard them as mere sources of revenue for extinguishing the enormous debt which Great Britain had incurred in extending her colonial empire. The British theory was that the colonies should pay for the cost of the war. The latter, on the other hand, had made great sacrifices for the public good. The war had involved them in a large expenditure of life and money. Thirty thousand men had been killed in battle, and many of the colonies had incurred considerable debts. The imposition of special taxes upon them they considered not only unjust in principle, but unwarranted by their conduct toward the British crown, for whose glory they had bravely fought. When, in 1774, the estrangement of the colonies towards England had reached a crisis, they were thirteen separate communities, with different laws and political organizations, possessing little in common except the general use of the English language, allegiance to the same king, and the memories of fellowship in the French and Indian Wars. Twenty years earlier, Franklin had proposed a union for the common defense, and his telling figure of the snake severed into thirteen parts, representing the colonies, over the legend, Join or Die, in the days of the Albany Convention, made an indelible impression on the popular mind. The Union, however, had never been consummated, for it was rejected by the colonial assemblies who feared they might create a new master, and not acceptable to the English Board of Trade, because the idea was too democratic. But Franklin, who was then in England as an agent of several colonies, had written an official letter to the Massachusetts Assembly in which he said, the strength of an empire depends not only on the union of its parts, but on their readiness for the united exertion of their common force. And to secure this end, he proposed that a general congress be assembled to make a solemn assertion of the rights of the colonies, and to engage them with each other never to grant aid to the crown in any general war, till those rights were recognized by the king and both houses of parliament. Accordingly, a Congress, styling itself the delegates appointed by the good people of these colonies, assembled at Philadelphia on the 5th of September, 1774. There was no law or precedent for such a union, and it was not even pretended that the colonial assemblies had the legal right to unite without the consent of Parliament, and as if in some measure to break the force of this illegality, the delegates had assembled in the name of the people. It was, in effect, the declaration of a new sovereignty. 
Patrick Henry justified it on the ground that the colonial governments were at an end, that all America was thrown into one mass and was in a state of nature. Where are your landmarks, your boundaries of colonies? said he. The distinctions between Virginians, Pennsylvanians, New Yorkers, and New Englanders are no more. I am not a Virginian. I am an American. His theory was premature, however, for Congress had not been appointed as direct representatives of the people, but as committees of organized colonies which had not yet thrown off allegiance to the British crown. But his words were prophetic, and forecast the philosophy which the Declaration of Independence was soon to assert as the express conviction of the nation. The tendency of public thought, however, outstripped the progress of events and believing the delegates to represent the whole territory claimed by the British crown in America, the people spontaneously named the Assembly the Continental Congress. To the popular mind, the revolution had become the revolt of a continent against the oppression of an island. When Colonel Ethan Allen demanded the surrender of Fort Ticonderoga, in the name of the great Jehovah and the Continental Congress, he uttered the whole philosophy of the American Revolution. It soon became apparent that the colonists, to whom their king and parliament denied the rights of Englishmen, were in fact reduced to a state of nature, and the idea of Patrick Henry gained ascendancy. The logical result was the abandonment of all allegiance to the British crown by the Declaration of Independence. Ten days before the adoption of the Declaration, Congress had resolved that all persons abiding within any of the United Colonies and deriving protection from the laws of the same owed allegiance to the said laws and were members of said colony. Thus the same power which declared independence gave to the colonial governments all the authority which they possessed. The colonies owed their existence as independent commonwealths not to their own separate acts and achievements, but to the united action of all combined. Whatever sovereignty they subsequently claimed was wholly derived from the union between them. Alone, each colony was but an empty name. Together they were sovereign power. It was as a continental force that the people won their independence and the nation is, in reality, older than the states. All this was felt even at the moment, and on the day the committee for drafting the Declaration of Independence was appointed, another committee was directed to prepare the form of a confederation. The power which declared independence, and thereby created new sovereignties, knew itself to be a mere illusion, except as its acts were ratified by the force of the united nation. But when the Declaration had, in effect, brought into being thirteen sovereigns in place of one, new problems burst into view. Each of these new states claimed all the rights granted by its own fundamental laws, and in addition its share of the power hitherto accorded to the crown. What then was to be the disposition of those crown lands which were not within the actual bounds of any colony, although originally included in their charters. That vast territory lying between the Allegheny Mountains and the Mississippi 
which had been won in battle from the rule of france six states massachusetts connecticut new york virginia north carolina and georgia by reason of their original charters or subsequent treaties claimed the ownership of all the lands west of their actual boundaries as far as the mississippi river it is true that a royal proclamation had been issued in seventeen sixty three prohibiting colonial governors from granting patents of land beyond the sources of the rivers flowing into the atlantic and that in seventeen seventy four the crown lands as they were called northwest of the ohio were annexed into the royal province of quebec but these were considered by the colonies unjust encroachments for had they not freely sacrificed lives and money to conquer this same country from new france the other colonies however hemmed in by inelastic boundaries protested against these large pretensions maintaining that possessions which had been acquired by the force and sacrifice of all should not be appropriated for the aggrandizement of a part new hampshire rhode island new jersey delaware pennsylvania and maryland denied a share of this great territory saw in the claims of the land states not only an evident injustice in refusing them a part of the fruits of a common victory but a menace to the equilibrium of the states by the arrested development of some and the unlimited expansion of others it was indeed no imaginary danger for by offering free lands to settlers the larger states could easily depopulate the smaller silas dean who had been sent as commissioner to france had suggested that the northwest territory was a resource amply adequate under proper regulations for defraying the whole expense of the war when therefore in september seventeen seventy six a resolution of congress offered a bounty of land to soldiers enlisting for the war maryland saying that congress had no land to give and she herself none to contribute perceived that the states without land would be compelled to buy it from those whose stock was unbounded and at their own price thus impoverishing themselves and enriching their rivals virginia in her constitution maintained her charter claims which if allowed would have made her a mighty empire greater when developed than all the other states combined on the thirtieth of october seventeen seventy six maryland passed a resolution asserting that virginia's title had no foundation in justice and that if the same or any like claim is admitted the freedom of the smaller states and the liberties of america may be thereby greatly endangered and expressed the conviction that the dominion over those lands having been established by the blood and treasure of the united states such lands ought to be considered a common stock to be parcelled out at proper times into convenient free and independent governments thus by the foresight of maryland to which all honor will be forever due was first posed the momentous question upon whose decision hung the whole harmonious system of government which we now enjoy a year later and a month before the articles of confederation were proposed for ratification it was moved in congress that the united states in congress assembled shall have the sole and exclusive right and power to ascertain and fix the western boundaries of such states as claim to the mississippi or south sea meaning the pacific 
and shall lay out the land beyond the boundary so ascertained into separate and independent states from time to time as the numbers and circumstances of the people may require only maryland battling for this great and fruitful idea and appealing to the wisdom of the people as against the ambition and avarice of the states voted in the affirmative but a principle had been laid down whose wisdom was eventually to be perceived by all a principle which has proved the keystone of the union supporting the splendid arch upon which our local liberties and national power now rest in seventeen eighty new york authorized the limitations of her western boundaries and the secession of her vacant lands in the united states she ceased to use the language of royal grants and discarded the principle of secession she came forth from among her parchments into the forum of the conscience in presence of the whole american people and recognizing the justice of their claims to territories gained by their common efforts to secure the inestimable blessing of union for their good and for her own she submitted to the national will the determination of her western boundaries and devoted to the national benefit her vast claims to unoccupied territories nor can we deny to all the states a share in the honor of a wise and noble compromise for the consummation of the union the smaller states entrusted their liberties to the keeping of the greater and the greater in a spirit of generosity finally bequeathed their large inheritance to the common good and shared the luster of a brilliant destiny with new stars yet to rise in the firmament of liberty special praise should be accorded to virginia for in her great session of the territory northwest of the ohio the greatest secession of territory in the history of the world ever voluntarily made by a powerful state able to defend it she invited the other states to follow her example and thus made possible the local governments and magical development of the west while she averted the jealousy and possibly the anarchy and bloodshed that might have followed the assertion of her claims end of section two